everybody what is going on my name is eric mcgrew with elevated office consulting and eric's tree service in montrose colorado as well as consultant climber designer for weaver arborist gap arbor supply and sponsor climber by gap arbor supply so today i thought that we might talk about a little bit about chainsaw options um it, it might sound like oh well you know i've been in the tree world for a long time I know about chainsaws and you might, you might know all these concepts as well. So I'm not trying to say they're earth shattering. However, there are a number of them that you might not have thought about and the arrangements or uses of them that might be, um, options that you might not be familiar with. So let's, let's get into it a little bit. You guys can let me know what you think about it. I'm also recording this for a podcast. Real quick, if you haven't, know that there are two new podcasts posted, um, and they are available on any of your podcast hosting sites, as well as um, they're, they're also available here on Instagram. I have them saved, so you can go back and watch them. So, um, let's talk a little bit about chainsaws, and hey, nice to have people from all over the world. I've been seeing that people um, from... Different places in the world are picking up my podcast, which is really cool. Uh, the I, I one more shout out for the podcast, Elevated Office Podcast. Um, I'm at 884 downloads for the past 30 days. I would really love to see that hit 1,000. If you guys could, please spread the word. Help me get that um, up. That would be awesome. But anyway, so um, chainsaw configurations, I guess, is really the, the concept that I want to talk about with you guys. Um, kind of started off, I guess, last week. I made a mention of potentially putting a, uh, a light or running the Samura light bar versus the steel light bar on my 661 um, because we're talking about, like, weight of the saw and... I guess that there needs to be a little bit of clarification because I see this a lot online. People aren't really familiar exactly with what the differences of light bars are and they don't really realize that they're not all made equal. And um, so to, to get us in the preface of this for the light bar aspect, let's talk about three fundamental truths as a general rule. You can have light and strong, but generally not cheap. You can have cheap and light, but not particularly good. Or you can have uh, cheap and good, but not particularly light as a general rule. Okay, because the lighter a piece of equipment is, and if you want all three, you're just not going to get cheap if you want it to be light and good. Materials, manufacturing, the processes, all of that stuff. The manufacturing limitations and the cost of materials to make light and durable mean that it's not going to be cheap as a general rule. I, I it, This is something I run into all the time. People come to me and they say, hey, Eric, I've got a brand new idea for a piece of equipment. Or I've got an idea for modifying a piece of equipment that you guys are working on. Let's do this, and it would be so much lighter and so much more appealing. And I'm like, okay. So I start looking at the manufacturing process, cost of materials, things like that. And while that is a great idea in concept, and it would accomplish those those goals, it often becomes so cost prohibitive, nobody would buy it. And therefore, nobody wants to manufacture it. So when we're talking about bars on chainsaws, that's very much the same aspect, okay? So what we're doing is we're taking a bar that's lighter than the factory and then, or the factory bar, uh, the the standard factory bar, I should say, and then we're trying to make it, you know, durable enough to last and we're trying to make it light enough to be worth buying versus the factory bar and we're trying not to raise the price so high that nobody wants to buy it because... Let's be realistic. Let's imagine, and I'm not saying it's not possible, but let's imagine some guys making 36-inch carbon fiber bars out there that are not noodles. You know, they're stiff enough to actually be a reasonable cut. And they're like, you know, 
a third or half lighter than the standard bar at 36 inches, but the thing costs $3,500 for a bar. Are you going to buy it? Probably not. That's more than like multiple saws put together. So you can see where the engineering that goes into that and the money that goes into that just wouldn't be practical. Okay. So with that in mind, then like you'll see a lot of aftermarket. Well, not a lot, but there are a number of aftermarket bars out there. So probably some of the most familiar that we know with or know are Canon, right? And they make good quality bars that are lightweight a lot of times. Canon's also known for making sizes most companies don't make like a 60 inch bar or something like that um and then they make light bars and canon is one of the most expensive companies that i know of that makes bars um so you're gonna have to be a very specific person with a very specific process or job style or you know need to make that worth it and then you have like samura and sugihara um, I think Panther makes some light bars for smaller stuff, but they're not going to be like a big saw bar as a general rule, if I remember correctly. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't have much access to Panther bars, so I'm not as familiar with those. So Kogi says, I have a 60-inch cannon bar for milling, excellent bars for heavy milling. Yeah, and that's kind of what they're known for, and, and that makes sense. It's a It's a niche in the market that needs to be met, therefore they have it, therefore it's met, therefore people... Pay the money because how how many other companies are out there making those bars that are that durable and that size? Not many. You may have a factory saw company making a bar that size. You may not. Um, I don't think still makes 60-inch bars, if I remember. I, I thought, and I could be completely wrong, I thought Husky was making a 60 at one time, but I don't know if they make a 60-inch bar anymore either. So when I was looking for 50 and 60 inch bars, Canon was pretty much the company that came up. Um, I'm sure there's some others out there. There might be some European ones that I don't know about that are doing it. But other than that, I'm not real sure who's doing it. it but it's a very specific, very specific need for a 60 inch bar, like milling. Um, in this day and age with bandsaws being so cheap and affordable, relatively speaking, the efficiency, if you're going to do a lot of milling, is in a bandsaw versus buying a a big old 880 and then putting a 60 inch bar on it. And even 880s with 60 inch bars often need to be um, performance modded to, to pull it regularly and for long periods of time. So we can kind of see where all this background is leading up to these bar options, right? And so um, like I have Samura light bars. I, I like Samura light bars or good bars, but they are not as light as the steel light bars. So the factory steel light bars of any size, when I compare it to like a, a Samura light bar, and I haven't been able to compare them directly with Sugihara, but I've been told Sugihara and Samura very, very consistent in their like weights compared to each other. So like when I buy the Samura light bar, it's cheaper than the steel bar, but it's a little heavier. Okay, as a general rule. And then what I have found though is that the Samura light bars, even though not quite as light as steel light bars, are and tend to be stronger. They don't bend as easy. They, the the chain rail doesn't mushroom out and flatten out on top and create burrs as easily as the Samuras or the Sugiharas do. So um, for me and my kind of work that I do as a general rule with the cottonwoods that I'm cutting and, and all this stuff, I, I prefer to run a little bit heavier bar that's stronger than the ultimately light bar that's a little weaker so that I don't get flat deflection and I don't get pinches that bend stuff as easily. It's not that I bend bars very easily, but it does happen. So Tim and Trees answer, uh, answered my milling question on the fence versus a bandsaw. Yeah, versus a bandsaw mill so if you're gonna band if you're gonna mill like consistently and you're planning on milling lots of board foot i really can't recommend an alaskan mill um they work if you're if you're gonna be super mobile and let's say like in your area you have people that have like fir trees or ponderosas or oaks or some hickory something that's kind of value walnut and you want to mill it on site before you move it, 
then an Alaskan mill is good if you're only doing like one or two trunks and, you know, they're not super big or whatever. But if you're going to have a yard full of logs and you want to mill timber and live edge and you want it to be for resale and whatever or use, then you're definitely going to want to mill over a saw. The saws aren't designed, as a general rule, to cut that length of space with the grain. And they they don't do well with that pinching. You have to really make sure that it's all wedged up real good and you're not pinching the bar as much. I mean, we already know how hard it is to cut a tree down the center vertically. And then you add into the question like a 48 inch or 50 inch trunk. And that's a lot of wear on that saw. And, and you'll run those motors out and... The guy's doing like big firs and big trees that I know with a 60-inch bar. They're either running one of those crazy setups um, that's, you know, like 50 inches or bigger where they have two chainsaws, one on each side to give it the strength it needs to go. Um, So you have two chainsaws running the same chain or they're running um, a really highly modified chainsaw. that's like an 880 but fully fully built and it's turning out like 35 percent more power than stock if you kind of so it it takes a lot and by the time you buy an 880 you buy the bar you buy the chain you have it fully built you're pretty close to a cheap uh cheap sawmill and you can often find them on craigslist or something where somebody bought one or and you can always get started with a harbor freight ones i know a lot of guys who did Make some simple modifications to them, and now you have a a bandsaw mill that's it's Harbor Freight, but it's relatively decent. It, I mean, a, a production mill like a wood miser can cost you ten, fifteen grand. But if you're just doing it as a hobby, you can get them for thirty five to five fifty five hundred dollars, and they'll pay for themselves back if you have the right kind of wood and setup. So, just so you guys have that kind of stuff in mind. So, when we're talking about these bars, though. Um, you have to look at your purpose for it. How are you using it? What is your what is your setup? How what kind of trees are you typically using or climbing? How well are you controlling? Like for instance, if you're doing crane work and you've gotten your technique down to a point where like the um, the the pick barely rests on your bar or it always rests on the bar completely flat and you don't get deflection in your bar and stuff maybe the steel or husky light bar that's like the ultimate light structure but with a little bit less strength to it would be perfect for you because now you've reduced your weight and now you've you know your saw weighs less and now you have a a a suitable setup like i have to do a lot of weird undercuts and thick bark on my um on my cottonwoods and elm trees out here especially in the upper areas where there's big wood and it's at weird angles. And I know that it's hard to get everything to match up. So sometimes there's a a little bit of a deflection or the piece starts to move and it's going to try to like pinch my bar real hard. So I prefer not to have, as a general rule, these ultra light bars that are going to be a little bit weaker. I would rather gain a little bit of weight and then put the like Samura light bar, which is a little bit more durable on there so that it will um, make the difference, you know, it'll be that balance between reducing my weight and and making a reasonable device setup, chainsaw setup that's functional for me, okay? So um, then we go into like, there's other options. So you have your, your bars. And once again, if we're going back to like milling kind of stuff, you're going to see a lot that people don't use a standard skip tooth chain. They're going to use a square cut chain and you can actually buy square cut grinders um, online. Now they're easier to find than they've ever been before. They do pretty well. I can't remember the brand that zigzag man is using, but they do a lot of square cutting and grinding and sharpening in their own garage. That's an option. If you're going to be ripping lots of um, along the long grain of trees producing noodles, then a square tooth is really, or a square cut is uh, really worth it. Yeah, uh, Matthew says a Swimmington or Symington or something like that, 420, I think it is. 
Uh, so, so that's what the grinder is, and they are, yeah, it's a Symington 420. They're they're really good. I don't run square tooth that much, or square cut, I should say. Um, I don't really find a whole lot of benefit in it for me. I know some guys love it, and that's fine. Zigzag Man Zach Richards is actually running smaller saws. I think his um, 2511 or his 201T or something like that has a square cut chain that he did on it, and he loves it, and. They're very aggressive. They chatter real bad if you don't have them, um, you know, set up just right or if you don't know how to use them just right. In, if you have a bar that's too long for your saw and you have a square cut chain on it, it'll rob you of power and it'll make it really hard for that chain to go through. You have to make sure your saw's got the power for it. And that often means that you have to reduce your... Um, bar length to make them practical for you so if you if you have a more aggressive chain and that that even applies to like going from full house to skip tooth or whatever um if you're reducing the amount of teeth and they're taking more aggressive bites or if you've reduced your rakers or um depth guides more than what they should be to get a a more aggressive bite even on a full house chain to not stall your saw out or to not w overly wear the engine out the motor out you probably need to go down in size so like let's say you have a 261 with a 20 inch bar on it and you put a square tooth chain on it and you find it's kind of lagging you might need to actually go down to an 18 inch bar or something like that okay <clears throat> matthew says that the square cuts are fast cutting but they dull quick and that is true uh so you have to know how to hand file a little bit more and you have to know how to use the the file just right on square tooth it's a little bit different of a process if you go up with it and you think you're just gonna cut uh, a tooth with a hand file like you do uh, a standard um you know round cut it's not gonna work so so you it, there's a little bit of learning to all of this okay and um stay with us we'll be right back you love listening to podcasts but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast maybe you want to build a brand grow your business or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby whatever your reason for making a podcast buzzsprout is the place to start since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Dan um, with D&D Tree Man. Um, he said skip is harder to keep cutting true and that is true as well um but you weren't you you weren't off topic dan don't worry about it so that is true um it is it is definitely like learning how to set up square tooth cut is is a, a kind of a finesse and skill and it's almost like art so there's a bit to it um just keep that in mind okay a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to get square tooth and I'm going to cut through and it's going to be awesome. And it can be, but you might have to make some adjustments. Um, the easiest thing that I recommend as a general rule is if you're going to go skip or square cut, especially if you're going skip tooth square cut, I recommend just getting the saw fully built. Most of my saws now, other than my 400 and my 661, are fully built. Um and I have Buxton work saws do that work for me. He's done all of my saws. They all work awesome. I, I you know, he, so, you know, the, go to, go to Gary Buxton. He's, he's worth it. The options that you kind of have with saws and their componentry and, and how to set them up is, is kind of more than you might think, but it's not super complex. So you're going to have bar length, which equals chain drag. Okay for how much it's trying to power through a piece of wood you're going to have chain design so you're going to have narrower chains or thicker chains then you're going to have that's going to directly relate to height of tooth so how much the gullet is open and what it can bite in a factory cut versus 
having a shorter one if it's narrower that bites less but maybe it goes faster and it may actually cut faster uh, I, this may make all kinds of weird nonsense to you so if you have any questions let me know then you have full house versus skip tooth of course then you have actually keeping your depth gauge rakers at the right height versus overcutting them and making them more aggressive and that has its own issues and things like that. Tim in the tree says, do the saw mods affect lifespan? Try to get at least two years out of my climbing saws, but wouldn't mind a bit more power. Dan says, spitting true knowledge. Thanks, man. Uh, Tim in tree says, daily climber 201. So, you know, the quality of build will have a lot to do with that, Tim. The quality of build will determine a lot of how long a built saw will last. If it's done right with the right parts, so like um, Buxton work saws always uses factory parts where possible or higher quality aftermarket parts unless otherwise specified or asked for, but he tries not to get away from parts that aren't high quality. There are some times where that's kind of harder, like I have a John Cutter that is a you know, Chinese knockoff of a Husky and mine's the, the 50.8 CC saw. It's the 5,800. I love that saw. It's my favorite saw I own out of all of them. And that's kind of crazy considering I had it built from Gary Buxton. I had the saw purchased and I got a Samura light bar. That's 20 inch with a skip tooth chain that, with a standard cut tooth on it. And it cost me, I think, total total all put together $825 so or maybe 900 or something like that it, it was an amazing deal and the thing is is that it cuts because it's fully built so it's a 50.8 cc saw from the factory but I think we are getting 38% power gains out of it through Buxton work saws and it cuts like a 361 easy um it's pretty close it's pretty close to my 400 and it is so light it's just such a light saw which is why I like it it the power to weight ratio is just incredible and that's one of the things I think that people misunderstand or don't think about um mine I had for two years and ran it super consistently Tim and it's done really well. You do need, as Dan says, to watch your oil gas mix. Usually you're going to run it like a performance dirt bike if it's built. You're going to run a, a definitely higher oil mix in it to keep it lubed up and keep it from overheating. Some guys squeeze out every ounce of power they can and run it slightly leaner, and that's when they usually run into blown up saws. That's typically not a great option, especially if you're a daily climber don't like understand where your limits and power are even though there's more power to be made it may not be worth actually getting it because you're going to get a a shorter lived engine so you can compare this to taking a race engine for um like nascar or um any of the you know race circuits like rally and you can compare it to taking that and putting it in a car that you're going to race but you're going to race like i don't know 10 weekends out of the year and you're going to tune it to a point to be competitive but not at its max max and that thing might last you for multiple years with minor rebuilds whereas professional race car companies what are they going to do they're going to tune it to the like max power output and every race you know whether it's the actual like in between races of a of a multiple race comp um competition or just like in rally they try to run the same engine the whole time but if they can't they'll put a new one in but they're going to trash that engine after that competition because their purpose is that engine's going to last one competition and they're going to get the max out of it your chainsaw is very much the same when you have it built if you're going to max it every ounce of power out of it you're going to blow it up sooner because you're just putting it on the edge of what it can handle if you treat it right, if you keep your air filters cleaned, which is incredibly important. So many people don't do this. Keep your air filters clean. Keep your clutch covers clean. Make sure all that gunk isn't getting in there. And stalling your clutch, make sure it's not overly resonating heat. That oil and tree debris in there holds so much heat 
and it binds so much it's actually not good for the saw so make sure that's out of there make sure that thing's breathing well because your air to fuel ratio won't be right it'll be running fat even though you may not notice it it may not be four stroking but it's going to be fat and it's going to run wrong and you can burn up a saw real easy so are they a little bit more finicky i'd say yes a little bit maybe 15 percent more are they incredibly more? No, I, I don't think so. If you have a good maintenance routine, I've had, well, I have a 2511T that was built by Buxton and that thing's been, I'm three years on. I don't climb every, every day, but I'm probably um, three quarters of a, you know, of a like everyday climber's use per year. And I've got it for three years and it's, it's not showing any signs of, of having any problems. So they can be finicky. It really depends on what you're starting with. But a lot of times they're not as finicky as people think they are. Um, Dan says, I had, I never had a real modded saw, just self-mod. Yeah, it's money. But I, I tell you the production value um, and the comfort value in the tree when you're climbing and the safety value to me. Those all add up to be way more valuable than the cost of modding your chainsaw. But make sure you have somebody who's reputable doing it. Um, and I'm not saying Buxton's the only one out there. Just so you know, I have no association with Buxton, really. I, I rep his saw builds, and I, I like Buxton. He gives me a bit of a discount sometimes, but I, I have no hold to him to say, oh, only use him. I just know him. He's been a good guy. He's always treated me right. Um I, like Redbeard Saws and all those guys do some builds, and I've heard they're really good. Um, I don't know if West Coast Saws is building anymore. I know they do a lot of mods, but I don't know if they do like any actual builds anymore. They they do bolt-on mods and things like that. So that and that goes on to the next side. So first off, you have size of saw, right? You have length of bar, and then you have um, style of chain, and then you have accessory mods. So you have style of dogs that you might put on your saw you might you have air filter mods that you can do and then you have oil filter mods or oil pump mods that you can do sometimes you have exhaust mods that you can do and all of these can be used in varying rates of of combination to make a saw that works for you for instance a lot of guys will buy a small saw so let's say they'll buy a 361 uh, it's not super small but it's small enough and then they'll put like a 32-inch bar on it. Will the 361 pull it? It can. The only way it's going to really pull it efficient, well, efficiently is a relative term, but semi-efficiently is if you have like a really sharp chain all the time. If you don't, it's going to have a really hard time and it's going to wear this all out. Now, putting a, like whatever the max bar length that a saw says on it, it is not the max it'll pull. It's the max that they have figured out will work on that saw to be one, safe, and two, for the durability of the saw for what they consider to be a reasonable duration of life, if that makes any sense. So you'll see saws that say a max of 28-inch bar, and are they saying it won't pull a 30? No, they're not saying it won't pull a 30 or a 32. What they're saying is, they don't recommend it because be due to the mass of the saw, due to the style of chain it's supposed to run, due to um, the engine build, it may or may not be safe in their minds from an insurance perspective to handle it, or it may not stand up to that abuse for as long as they have designed the saw to last for. I hope that makes sense. I know it's kind of complicated. So ways that you can kind of beat the system, right? Get a longer bar. You can do an air filter mod. And that will give you more power if it's tuned right. Um, I can't say enough about the max air flow um, filters and uh, air filter covers that I've run on my 461 and my 661. They are, the amount of bottom end torque they give is substantial. Um, if I'm not going to do anything significant to my saws, if all I'm going to do is a light mod to them, I guarantee you I'm going to put max air filters on them and I'm going to put a bark box from West Coast Saws on it. That combination for me is like the minimal budget 
performance that you should have on a saw. I am running my 400 um, without any mods and it runs pretty good, especially for what it is, but it needs a, a max air filter and it needs West Coast saw <laughs> Bart box on it. It just does. Um, I, 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 yeah. So, um, those are kind of like your basics. So you can bump up from like a full house chain to a skip tooth chain pretty easily with that setup on this factory bar that you're running. You might squeeze out another inch or two out of the bar if you want. Um, but I wouldn't do that long term. It's probably not going to last. And then if you want longer bars, then you're going to have to do a couple other things that'll be beneficial. You can reduce the gauge width depending on the saw you're running, which might mean you need to change your sprocket, your drive sprocket. But oftentimes you can reduce it down in width a little bit um, from 5.0 to, or from 6.3 to 5.0 or, you know, whatever. And then you can also get performance mods on your saw. So you can either do the, you know, maybe the air filter and the BART box or a muffler would be fine, but you're probably going to want to have the saw fully built at that point to get a much longer bar out of it. And you can also work with things like handles and dogs. So like a full wrap handle, if it's available, or if you build one can change how efficiently your saw cuts just because of how you can handle the saw in different situations, i.e. felling in steep terrain or um, in a tree. Now with enough practice, you should be able to manage a saw without a full wrap handle the same way it does take more effort and practice um, a lot of times you have to build certain muscles to do that it's just you know it might be faster for your growth if you use a full wrap handle but they are going to limit you when you have a full wrap handle you're not going to be able to uh, stump down as far or as close to the ground because the handle will come in contact with the ground and create a problem now that also kind of is a good thing because it helps keep dirt away from your engine case, um, your intake, and your air filters because it limits how low you can get, whatever. Um, another thing that you can do is buy a bigger saw head. So let's say you get like a 361 and you only run an 18 or a 20 inch bar. This seems to be very common for some reason in Europe and in forestry. I don't know why that's the case i'm not i'm not saying that they're wrong i'm not dogging them um maybe it's because the shipping of longer bars to europe is more expensive maybe there are um, national codes and safety regs that limit what size bars they can run in the forestry industry it just seems like i see a lot of guys with like a three i mean a 400 or a 500 i um and they're running like a 18 inch or 20 inch bar and I don't know exactly why you would do that. Now, it's going to cut fast because the bar is definitely short and it's way less chain drag running through that, you know, cycle. But they, they I mean, I'm sure they have the reason. Some of it may just simply be that it's tradition. I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not trying to say I understand their reasons why. Maybe it's a safety concern. I don't know. But I do know that that's often a thing. And I do know some tree climbers that will climb a tree and they'll have like a 400 or a 361 with a 18-inch bar on it. And they're like, oh, it's so powerful and I can cut through and control my lateral cut so it doesn't peel off or whatever so easily. And they like that. And I'm like, okay, well, I'd rather, in my case, run the John Cutter 5800 fully built with a 20-inch bar on it and it be like, this much better weight to power ratio than running like a 361, which is kind of heavy with a 20 inch bar on it. I, I don't know. It's just kind of how I do things and view things. But just so you guys kind of know, you can, com you can pair different things. You can make a, a shorter bar with a bigger head and get power to weight ratio kind of balanced out. Or you can have a smaller head that's fully built with a longer bar and, it'll pull that chain and then it allows you to run maybe a skip tooth or square cut or something like that. Um, Tim and tree says we run 20 on our 460. good for hardwoods up here. Okay. So there's a, there's a good e example of why you might want to do that. So just kind of keep in mind that these are like the combinations that you can do right now. A couple of other things to keep in mind is that 
if you are running your um, saw and you put like dogs on there that are aftermarket, they will affect how things work. They change the leverage points on your saw. And so if you know anything about saws, the further you get out toward the tip, the harder the saw has, the harder time a saw can have, I should say, of actually keeping the chain spinning. That's why often we dog in, you know, we sink down on the close to the saw body first and then we tip over, right? And then we wrap around because we're cutting all those. So it's kind of hard to explain, but like if this is the log, we're cutting the narrowest area to the widest area. The bar has the most um, torque back here at the saw head. So we go down and now we've created like a triangle and then we're cutting from the narrowest point to the widest point again and we roll over and now we're cutting a triangle from here there on this side with the tip and then we sink it back down on this side and that's why you see a lot of guys that'll put their saw on the the log run the bar all the way down almost vertically and then come back and dig in because you can cut a, a wider swath of that wood without stalling and overheating the saw on the the head side as a general rule coming down so when you put big dogs like the west coast felling dogs a lot of people um if you're not used to running them i've, ha I've had people and it happened to me when i first started running them i found that my chain would stall more and i was like what is going on with this but what it's done is it's pushed your saw out further and it's created a much more aggressive power of pressure on the tip so you can like be lifting up on the handle of your saw and actually create so much pressure down on the chain it'll stall out because the chain's trying to dig through the the wood right so you have to like i learned that if i didn't have any mods on my saw and i was running like big three-point west coast felling dogs i'd have to just basically put like a finger on the trigger and another finger on the handle keep my thumb around it in case something went wrong and just barely lift up and it'll just slice through whatever you've got and then you can dig on the backside. now if you have your saw fully built if you start putting on the air filter and modified air filters and um like mufflers then now you have a torque range adjustment you gain low end torque and it as that chain hits more material and normally it would kind of like grunt through now it's going to pull through easier because it's not all on the high velocity RPM side where you have your torque. But now you have low RPM torque, relatively speaking. It's a two-stroke saw. You're never going to have a huge amount of low-end torque. Two strokes that are built in this fashion just don't do that very well. Okay? Um, so there becomes some mods that you have to kind of keep up with and keep in mind. What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? How is it going to benefit you? How is it going to hinder you? A lot of guys buy mods. They they throw them on and then they're like, oh, my saw just doesn't work like it should. And it's because they've put the wrong mod combination on that saw. And by mods, I mean upgrading anything, your bar length, your chain, any of that stuff, right? So everything affects everything. If you go outside of the factory spec, if you go outside of the factory spec, something will be affected. You're talking about affecting the longevity of life. Fuel efficiencies will be affected. Weight will be affected. And just overall comfort will be affected. Because a lot of this has to do with comfort too. Like a full wrap handle on a chainsaw. Only reason that exists is for comfort. So, I mean safety too. Because the more comfortable you are, the safer you tend to be. But just keep in mind... They all have a direct relation with each other, and that's why it's so important to understand each one of these potential mods you can make, like the Samura or Sugihara light bars versus factory light bars like we talked about at the beginning, or square cut chain versus you know standard round cut, full house versus skip tooth, having your depth guide um, gauge rakers shorter or where they should be. All of that affects having a wider thicker chain versus a thinner narrower chain 
I mean, all of it affects everything. So be careful about what you're putting together and be careful about how you think it'll work versus what it might work because you might spend money on mods and then you might have to be like, oh, I got to spend more money to make it better or take them off to make it run like it did to begin with. It may not run. Like people think, oh, I'm going to throw a mod at it. It's going to run better. Could or could not. It's, it's like people who have little Hondas and they have no money so they throw on an aftermarket muffler from AutoZone and it's really loud but you watch them take off at a red light and it's extremely loud but it takes them five minutes to get through the intersection because they've lost all their back pressure on the car and it's the slowest car ever it's just super loud they think they're doing something it's loud it's racy quote unquote but Without the right exhaust and without other components in that car to make that exhaust work the way it should, you've actually robbed it of power versus giving it power. So that's just, you know, something to keep in mind. Um, one thing that I did and one thing that a lot of people are doing are, of course, with the 2511 Echoes, they're reducing gauge width of their chain. They're going from a 3 eighths um, to a quarter. And they're also going with like a smaller or like a thinner gauge bar or a different shape. So like the um, Panther carving bar that has that little tip on the end that's narrowed out actually helps balance how much it cuts through at a time. And I'm running a 16 inch bar, Panther bar, on my 2511. But I had it fully built by Gary Buxton at Buxton um, Worksaws. Um, it's, yeah, it, it's an incredibly cool little device. It's my favorite climbing saw. I actually have to get a new bar and chain a couple of chains for it. So I haven't been running it recently. But um, even still, like, if you just do a quarter, in, uh, quarter pitch chain conversion on a factory 2511 that's a huge difference um and then if you go and do a slight muffler mod on that saw and up the timing just a little bit it's a big difference um and which is a lot of people is what they do so the let and if we put this into car analogies again i don't know how many of you guys are into cars and stuff but i used to be really into it so like your chain upgrade would be like a stage one upgrade the muffler mod and timing advance would be like a stage two, right? And then like a Panther bar with a narrow gauge, which is um, thinner and a shorter tooth. And it, it just spins faster. It cuts easier um, with all that would be like your stage four. And then a fully built like Gary did for mine where it's all, you know, um, ported, polished. Everything's bored out. Squish cap is adjusted. Everything. Now you're talking about like a, a full-on race build, and they're just so, so, so impressive. Um, I can't even remember what he's quoting as some of his turnouts, but I know that the 2511 builds have more... Um... Stay with us. We'll be right back. Are you interested in small businesses? My name is David C. Barnett, and I've been podcasting and producing YouTube videos about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses for almost 10 years. I'm a former business broker and have owned and operated several businesses, and I've been advising business owners since the 1990s. Each week, I create a new podcast which answers one of your questions, and I've always got amazing, exciting guests. You can find me on YouTube by going to smallbusinessanddealmakingpodcast.com or just search David Barnett's Small Business in any podcasting app to find me. I look forward to seeing you around. The 2511s have a one of the highest output percentages after being built of all saws on the market. Um, the best one that I know of out on the market, the best one I know of, is the Echo 501P, which I had for a while as well. So, yeah. Um, Koki says, I have a ported 2511-2, beast of a saw for its size. Yeah, it just, I don't even, being 41 years old and having shoulders like I do, you know, my shoulders are worn out from years and years of just stuff. I just find that the weight to power ratio of the 2511 being built is the only way I'm going to be a long time climber. And 
Um, with that being said, it's worth the money to me to have a 2511 built, fully built. Um, if you're if you're dealing with like um, tendonitis or if you've got like tennis shoulder or any of that stuff, uh, twenty five eleven is the way to go when it's fully fully built. Go talk to uh, Gary at Buxton Work Saws. The only thing I wish that saw had that it doesn't is I wish it was push button start. I you know two stroke dirt bikes. Uh, I have a bunch of friends with KTM's. I run an old Kawasaki. So I have to kickstart the stupid thing every time. It good, thankfully enough, it kickstarts within two starts usually. But like the new KTM's with the two-stroke push-button start, so amazing for for older guys. I wish the 2511 would have push-button start. That would be amazing. That's what Echo needs to come out with, some way to make that happen. But, you know, those saws are so small, that'll probably never happen, because where would you put an electric starter? I, I don't know. But it'd be amazing if they could. So um, those are kind of some concepts for you guys about what you might want to do if you're looking at modding your saws for your best use. Shorter bars, bigger saw head. Um, that way you can run skip tooth or square cut a little bit faster. Longer bars, but with some mod to the saw head itself so that it can pull it. And the bigger your bar gets, the wider your chain is going to get engaged. Just know that. Some chains just come in 6.3. That's all you're going to get. Some you can get in 050 or 043 or whatever, depending on the sizes. But yeah, just, you know, 06, what is it? 068 or 058? I can't remember. I don't use that one much. 050 and then 063 are what I usually use on my bigger saw. So. There are options and you have to modify and adjust those combinations to get this all to do what you want. Now, real quick before we go, going back to the beginning about really long bars. Okay. Are they worth buying? So, you know, Koki in um, Puerto Rico has them because he said that he's doing uh, milling of logs. Okay, fine. So a 60 inch bar might very well be what you need for that kind of work. However, how many times are you in a situation, and depending on where you live, this might be more or less the case, how many times are you in a situation where you can't cut a tree for a back cut or a face cut from both sides, okay? If you can't cut on a regular basis trees from both sides, buy a longer bar, okay? That's just, you know, that's it. If you're dealing with a lot of trees that are um, on steep mountainsides or something like that, and it's not safe to be on both sides, get a longer bar. But other than that, really long bars may not really be what you need. Um, we do seven-foot trees around here every once in a while, not too commonly. The biggest trees we typically deal with are like six-foot trees in diameter, and those are going to be like your willow or cottonwood or something like that. Um, and I just run a 36 inch bar as a general rule and I just cut it from both sides and wrap around the back. I can even make it work with a 24 inch bar and all you've got to do is cut both sides and then cut the back strap with the bar dug in more, you know, internally straight across to cut that meat in between, making sure your face cut is far enough forward that you're not going to cut through the center of your face cut unless you want to. In many cases, cutting, boring through the face cut in the center is a good idea depending on how big the tree is and where your face is cut. And that's a whole nother topic for felling techniques and things like that. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, you know, I find that having a six or, you know, a six foot bar or five foot bar or whatever is kind of unnecessary for most people the other way that i find it to be very practical is if you're doing a lot of stumps and you're having to stump them down for um uh what's it called um like stump grinding or leaving a clear face they can be helpful at that period because with a 24 inch or even a 36 inch depending on the kind of wood it is the kind of tree it is the terrain you're on Wrapping all the way around can be hard to make it all meet in the center and get that stump off. And if you don't have equipment to like push it and break that 
split difference off, then it might be worth having a really long bar that'll just go all the way through the whole stump and make it come off. But as a general rule, for the price that bars are, um, like a 60-inch bar is uh, really, really, really expensive as bars go and probably not worth your time. Kogi says, that would be great video for another time, felling big trees with a smaller bar. Yeah, we'll talk about it. I, I don't claim to be the, the best feller out there, but there are some definite techniques to keep in mind that would be helpful for a lot of people. The, man, Europeaners have it down. They, they have figured out some really cool felling techniques. And um, they because they work with small bars, they just figure out ways to whittle trees down to be a... <laughs> a fellable size with a relatively small bar and it's pretty amazing so all right guys it's getting late i appreciate you all thank you for stopping by please keep an eye out for my podcast episodes and uh yeah if you can recommend the podcast to people be very appreciative i am putting more uh videos up on youtube again so please check out my youtube channel you can find me if you just search my name eric mcgrew and um that would be good so um, you could support me on uh, YouTube. Also, keep an eye out. I will be doing more webinars. Um, I got sidetracked from last March's. Um, I've had some technical difficulties getting the videos uh, set up to send out to everybody. I'm still working on that, trying to get that. The new seminars are going to be smaller in um, time length. They're only going to be an hour or two hours at a time. And they will be reduced pricing as well. Um, I am trying to figure out how to get them CEU um, certified. So I hope to be able to offer that in the future. And I know that I, I'm working with some partners on providing you guys more of that content and more options for some um, work. I mean, for some... Um, work-oriented webinars. So thank you guys all for being here. Um, Tim and Trees trained with Euros my first five years. Agreed. Yeah, they're they're pretty amazing. Koki, um, excellent video. Thanks, man. Thanks to all you guys and ladies that were on. I will see you guys in the next one. Be safe.